0: So in Genesis 17, uh, we're looking at working our way through Genesis, and uh, we came to that chapter last week, Uh, Genesis 17, great covenantal chapter, speaks about God's covenant with God's people, uh, expressed through circumcision of the males uh, of the household, uh, and the promises are made to Abraham and to his offspring uh, for generations to come. And uh, all of that, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, and we see the wonderful covenant making God developing his covenant promises all the way through Scripture, uh, resulting in flowering in the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, we only looked at verses 14, 1 to 14, and uh, I want us to just look at the remainder of the chapter. And uh, God is still speaking to Abraham. So uh, he is uh, saying a few things, and he's got a, few more th- a couple of more things to say here. So verse 15 says, And God said to Abraham, As for, for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear your son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, As an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael. I've heard you. Behold I have blessed him. And will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him. God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those in his house or bought with his money every male among them of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we come to your, uh, to your word, again, we ask that you would help us to see what you would have us see in it, And therefore, to that end, I pray that may my words and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you may remember how this chapter started. Uh, The Lord appeared to Abraham. And that's really a significant thing. Um... Throughout Genesis, God has has communicated with His people in various ways. Um, they've heard His words. They have walked with God, or and but it's only when we get to Abraham that God. The Bible says that you know, Moses tells us that God appeared to Abraham. It's the first time actually that an appearance is described, is is, is mentioned. It's not actually described, but it's just mentioned. And he did that in chapter 12, verse 7, just after the first promise. And now he does so again. uh, God appears to Abraham. And we have no idea how he did it. How how did God do it? Uh, We don't know what the experience for Abraham was like. But it is amazing, isn't it? The thought, eh? That God appeared to Abraham. What a m- remarkable thing. And the passage that we've got today is, uh, you know, in many ways, the, you know, one way of describing the Bible is a history of how God reveals himself in covenant. And you see God developing his ways of revealing himself all the way through, culminating in the coming of Jesus Christ. Because he is the ultimate revelation. That's what uh, Hebrews 1.1 says. In many and diverse ways, God made himself known. But in these last days, he has appeared to in a son, in literally a son, the son. The son is the revelation. And so this is the history of God's revelation. And it's marvelous when you get that storyline and you see how God does various things and he develops and develops and develops what he does with greater fullness and greater, more, all the more wonderful all the time. This passage then, uh, from verse 15, is a a continuation of the same conversation that we looked at last week. Um, In that that previous conversation, uh, we looked at three things that uh, God said to Abraham, and he's got two more things to say in this passage. Uh, The three things that we saw last time were, verses 1 and 2 was a general call to Abraham to walk before God. And be blameless because God is almighty. God is El Shaddai. God is almighty. God calls his people to walk before him in blamelessness. So That's a general statement. Then in verses, secondly, in verses 3 to 8, God promises to establish his covenant with Abraham. Now we've already seen God making covenant. God cutting covenant with Abraham. uh, From verse 12 and 15 and, and so on. But here he's establishing his covenant. As it were, he's kind of embedding it, bedding it into the ground, as it were. Saying, this is solid and firm and secure. And I'm going to give you reasons why it's solid and firm and secure. And then the third thing he talks about, in verses 9 to 14, is uh, the call to Abraham to to keep covenant uh, with God, and this is Abraham's response of him and his household by circumcising all the males. So that all the males, the men and boys, in Abraham's household would bear the sign of, of God's covenant in their body. And so they would continually know that God has made covenant with them, has established his covenant with his people. Um, and so circumcision as with all the covenant signs you see in the Bible, uh, are given not as a rite of passage to enter into the community of God. Not a kind of indication that somebody has reached a certain level of physical or spiritual maturity and now they can then be qualified to come into the kingdom of God. But it's actually a sign that God has promised to save his people. And that sign is continually witnessing to the people of God's goodness in his covenant. And the same is true of circumcision, true of baptism today, true of the Lord's Supper that we took last week. Um, so it's a, it's a sign, circumcision is a sign of the promise of God that the people are to believe. It's not actually about the person receiving the circumcision or in the New Covenant baptism. The person receiving baptism. It's not a sign about them. It's a sign about God. What is God doing? This is a glorious thing. And if, of course, a person is to enter into those promises by receiving them and believing them with all their heart, like Abraham did, then in doing so, as Galatians tells us, Paul tells us in Galatians they are they are the true children of Abraham. So you, if you're a believer today in the promises of God, uh, which are expressed in your baptism, uh, you are a true child of God, a true uh, child of Abraham. Well, once again, God's uh, in saying all that um, from verses one to fourteen. God is not finished yet; he's still got more to say. Uh, and this gets more specific. Two more things to say. And and, the, and first of all, the, the Lord has a word for Abraham's wife. So Abraham's, God is still speaking to Abraham, but he wants him to communicate something to his wife. Um, and here, once again, we see the the persistence of God. So this is the first heading today. The persistence of God. Uh, I think this is clear in verses uh, 15 and 16. Um, and what's of interest here is that God is eager to, uh, uh, is eager to include Sarah in the promises made to Abram. Uh, though Abram is uh, the head of the family, they're not just promises for him, but for Sarah as well. Um, and when God, is a testimony to the fact that when God joins people together in marriage, uh, they become one, they become recipients together of God's promises. And what does God do? Well... Let me describe that to you. Uh, like Abraham, he changes her name. God changes Sarah's name to Sarah. Now, it is a bit of a puzzle. It isn't explicitly stated why. Uh, with Abraham's name change, it was explained why. He becomes moves from being exalted father to being father of nations. Uh, with Sarah, we don't know. It's not explained. Just a name change. Uh, and actually... The names don't seem to mean anything very different. They're just different spellings of the same name. Rather like, uh, you know, our daughter's name is Catherine with a K, but sometimes she, she could be spelt with a C. It can be spelled with a C. Um, it's kind of like that. But I think there are parallels. The parallel with Abraham shows us something that, that God intends Sarah to know something about the promises. That uh, whenever. She uses her new name, Sarah. Uh, You know, and the people in her household might, and and the people that she knows, they might say to her, why have you changed your name, Sarah? And she will say, well, it happened that day that God appeared to my husband and promised that I would have a son when I was 90 years old. So every time her new name is used, she would remember that day and that promise that God has given and then she would say and look at Isaac one day she'll say that look at Isaac there's the truth of it god has kept his promises and twice in verse 16 god says i will bless her and it's quite striking isn't it i will bless her and moreover i will give her uh, give you a son by her i will bless her and she shall become nations kings of people shall come from her he will have a, She will have a son, not by a servant, not by Abraham taking another wife. He's tried that. God is saying, "No, you're going to, Abraham. You're going to have a son by your wife Sarah, and she will become nation." And she will have kings come from her. The parallels with Abraham are striking. We look back to verse 6. God says exactly the same thing. You will be exceedingly fruitful, fruitful Abram, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. So Sarah as well. So together they're being blessed by God. Now in all of us, what's God's intention? What's he doing? Well, to put it simply... The Lord wants Abram and Sarah to believe him and to be assured that God will do exactly what he promised. And that's our God. And our God comes repeatedly to make his promises. And as we have followed Abram and Sarah, how we realize they need to have those promises repeated, don't they? Because they constantly seem to want to go and do something else or, or doubt what God is actually doing and try something else. God comes repeatedly and says, I will do what I promised. He's still doing that today. He does it through the word of God. He does it through the Bible. It's He does it through the preaching of the word. He does it through the reading of the word. That's why we should be in good habits, so that God... We can hear God reminding us constantly of his promises. The aim of any, any preaching is to draw attention to what God has promised and done and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Timothy. Remember the relationship between Paul and Timothy? Timothy's a younger man. He uh, was picked up in Acts chapter 16 by Paul in his missionary journey, second missionary journey. They traveled around together, and uh, Paul is a mentor to the younger Timothy. And then eventually, uh, towards the end of Paul's life, Paul writes to Timothy, uh, to Timothy, um, he says, uh, remind, and Timothy's in Ephesus, and he's trying to lead a church there, and he says, remind them, the people, the Christians of Ephesus, of these things. Remind them of these things. And Timothy's ministry is one to be of continual reminding of the great truths of God, the truths of the gospel, the promises of God, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is how God has set it up. He has set up the church with a structure with leaders, with all elders and ones who, are, who labor in the word to have this ministry of reminding people great goodness of God and all his promises. So you, your job is simply to be brought, faith. my job is to present to you the, the promises of God and your job is simply to avail yourself of all of that blessing from God. Whatever my limitations are or whoever is preaching in this pulpit. And the idea is that your faith is stimulated and encouraged to grow. That you are fed in your souls with the goodness of God. And for us to, to grow and believe more strongly in him, as the Bible has explained week by week. You see, we need to be continually encouraged to believe. However weak our faith is, we all need to grow in believing that in all that Christ has achieved for us, in all that, how God has fulfilled all His promises for us, and all the benefits that we have in Christ. We just need to be encouraged, don't we? Week by week, day by day. So we are assured all the time, of God's good intentions towards us. He always has good intentions. Towards his children. So here's the second thing to learn. So God is uh, is persistent with us. But here's the second thing for us to learn. Uh, this time about our own experiences. Uh, this is our side of the relationship, if you like. That true faith is not without its struggles. I know that's obvious. But true faith is not without its struggles, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? Uh, you'll notice that those next two verses... Um, verses 17 and 18. see what Abram does? He, he, fe- he fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> so God makes his promise and he falls on his face and I think you know he, he may be thankful for the promise, but he's kind of laughing in his heart. <laughs> what's this? what's he saying? what's God saying? I will bless her and I 'll give you a son but her she 's 90. It's a, it's a strange thing, uh, and it's, um, you know, why, why do people laugh in that kind of situation? You can just imagine his, his face on the ground, chuckling to himself. Was it, was it cynicism? Uh, like when someone makes a promise to you uh, to be somewhere at a certain time in a certain place and to do something for you, and you know that they, their track record is one of hopeless timekeeping. Uh, or not, just not turning up or not doing what was required. Um, and you, you, know, when somebody makes a promise to you who's like that, you say, yeah, right. In a kind of cynical kind of way. Is he cynical like that? Like God has not proved himself? Uh, is that the kind of response? I don't think so. Uh, listen to Paul as he talks about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. And uh, verse 19, well, verse 18 says, In hope he believed against hope, Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And it says quite clearly you know, he didn't weaken in his faith, um, he was fully convinced. And Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, we have to believe what he says. Uh, He really did have faith. So it's not a laugh of cynicism. So what is it then? What kind of laugh is this? I think it's a laugh that comes about when you face inner conflict. And it says something like this. This is how your heart goes in a situation like this. It says, Lord, I believe this, but everything about it says, don't believe it. In your heart, you say, I believe, Lord, I believe. But you look at your circumstances, and your circumstances say, You shouldn't believe that. And the conflict, there's a, there's a kind of conflict going on within the heart that brings a sense of discomfort that results in a laugh. Have you ever had one of those moments when uh, you've laughed inappropriately? <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Um, I remember a long time ago as a stu- when I was a student so it's far enough in the past that I can get away with it but um, I was with a friend and, uh, and it's quite a sad story in a way but she she heard that another person's parents had died and it was quite a shock and fleetingly a smile came over her face it was really weird but it's a kind, a kind of inner conflict of Uh, this is really sad, but it can't be true, surely. And and a smile broke out in her face, and she controlled herself and apologized afterwards. Uh, She didn't mean to laugh, but it was just the shock of the news that caused her to burst out laughing. I think something like that's happening with Abraham here. There's a disconnect with what he sees and and what he's believing from God. So that just indicates to us that that real faith, real living faith in God has its struggles. Let's just spend a moment talking about Abram's faith and what we've seen so far Um, and maybe as we do that you can examine your own faith as we think about it. See often people think about faith like this. God speaks his promises uh, of some blessing or other to come and therefore, if I have true faith, I need to believe God for the fulfillment of those promises, for the things promised. Right? So my faith is, I believe in the things promised. And at one level, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, you take God at his word, don't you? There's no, at one level, there's nothing wrong with it. But can I just put it like this? It is somewhat transactional. I will believe you, God. As long as I get the thing that you've promised. So I offer you my faith and he gives me stuff. That kind of faith. So many people, that's, that's what their idea of faith is. Um, but actually in Abraham we see something quite different. Think back to the time when uh, God first called Abraham um, at the beginning of chapter 12. You may want to look back at it just briefly. And remember the promise that the Lord said to Abraham. Says, "Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house to the land I will show you." He has no idea where he's going. <laughs> at this point, uh, but he, get, he upsticks with his family and goes. Uh, he has no idea how the pro, how God, what God is going to do. And yes, he, God follows with a few. Pr- promises, but they're very general promises. Uh, you'll be a nation, uh, uh, you'll get some land, and all the nations will be blessed through you. Uh, and it's very general, isn't it? Everybody, everybody can believe general things. Uh, and so Abraham is, is ready to up sticks and go. And why would he do that with such a vague promise at that stage? And the answer is he knows God. He actually has a relationship with God that is personal and already covenantal. It is he has that personal relationship uh, to God. Uh. You see, true faith is, is found is not found simply in saying, "If I believe, I will get this blessing." True faith begins with something far more important than that that doesn't have its eye on the gifts that God is going to give, but actually has its eye on God himself. You see, if you trust God, if you discover that God is trustworthy, you'll do anything for him because he's trustworthy. That's foundational to true living faith. discover that God is uh, trustworthy. So, this faith of Abraham is fundamentally personal before it's transactional, you see. Uh, He is in the habit of relating to God, communing with God, long before he gets the specific blessings and promises. uh, Promises of blessing. Uh, so then what, do, then what do we see in Abraham's faith as the years go by? Remember, another, another 13 years has gone past since chapter 16, and Ishmael is 13 now. Um, what do we see? Well, the promises begin to get more specific. It begins with a general statement that Abraham's going to be a great nation. But now it's narrowed down to a promise about a son that's going to come from Sarah, who's 90. And now the faith struggles begin. Because the more specific it gets, the more tricky it becomes to believe it. Because all all your senses are telling you something different. We have seen some of those missteps that Abraham has taken in, in trying to kind of help God along a little bit in the earlier chapters. Instead of just waiting for God to act and do exactly what he said he promised to do. So I think Abraham, his faith, actually teaches us about our faith. I actually think that faith that never has a struggle with the details and the specifics that call us to certain kinds of obedience, that a faith that never struggles, never wrestles, well it never gets stronger. Never questions, it never cries out to God because it doesn't understand, it never laughs in disbelief. But at the same time, that kind of uh, weak faith often presents a facade of confidence, but it's actually weak and brittle. And it needs to grow, it needs to develop roots. So you can see that here, that Abraham is wrestling with uh, the things of uh, the promises of God. Uh, the, you know, the next the words out of his mouth in verse eighteen, Abraham said, "Oh, that Ishmael might live before you." I mean, here's a ready-made solution to the problem of a son. I made him, <laughs> but God says, "No, this is not how it's going to be." Um, real faith then. It wrestles with the tensions between promise and fulfillment. It struggles to make sense of apparent lack of fulfillment. But all the time it has its eye on God. That's a key thing. All the time it has its eye on God. Who makes the promises and does not turn its back on him. So are you struggling with faith today? Struggling to believe the promises of God? Let me say, just don't turn your back on him. Pursue him. Chase him. And he's not hard to chase. (laughs) Because he's always there, ready for you. Don't stop bringing your puzzles and difficulties to him in prayer. And see what he will do. Well, in the next few verses, verses 19 through to 22, we see that God answers Abraham's desire with a no. So he's he's requested uh, that Ishmael might live. And God says no, verse 19. Now, here's the heading. God says no, sometimes, because he means a better yes. God says no sometimes because he means a better yes. One of the things that we have to learn as we grow up in the faith is that not everything we ask for is the best thing that God, uh, God has for us? Those of you who've had children, uh, you know that uh, you don't just give your child stuff because your child asks for it, uh, and they will ask for all kinds of things, and they'll continually ask. If you keep giving, they will keep asking. <laughs> That's my experience. Maybe it's true for you too. Uh, but as parents, you know, we see the bigger picture, don't we? You don't just give your child, well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't give your child chocolate all the time. Because, well, they kind of get bigger. (laughs) And they're unhealthy and develop all kinds of problems. Uh, There are things that are not wise to to give your children, even though they ask for it. And God is the same with us. We may ask for things, we may think this is a solution to our problems. And sometimes God has to say, no, it's not the wisest thing here the Lord actually makes a a more fulsome promise than the suggestion of Abraham Uh, in verse 19 he says there will be a son by Sarah he even gives a name to the son that's going to come Isaac which actually means if you look at the footnotes there, it actually means he laughs or perhaps He smiles. So, Abraham, you chuckled when I said that promise. So you're always going to remember that when you look at your son. (laughs) He smiles. He laughs. You're always going to remember just how you struggle with that. And now it leads to a much better yes. And I think that's what what God is about with us. Whatever the hardships are uh, are to make sense of what God's doing in our lives... There will come a time when we will look back at those things that we have prayed for and even longed for and we will say to God, I am glad I have a wise heavenly father who did not give me what seemed to make sense to me at the time. And God has been good to me. And we will laugh and smile at our foolishness and the glorious wisdom of God in our lives. How good is God? Isn't he worth following? Isn't he worth trusting and obeying? Well, that's what we see in the last few verses, just very quickly. 22 to 27, we see Abraham does all that God requires of him. Uh, He trusts God, he obeys him, and all the male members of his household are circumcised. Uh, Just a reminder that real faith always leads to action. Sometimes difficult action, and it's not, an, it's not an easy thing to ask, is it? To ask all the men in your household to be circumcised—I um, understand it's quite painful—and <laughs> um, trying to persuade all the men that this is what they should do, uh, and all the boys and all the children of the household. And I can imagine some of them saying, "Not in your life! What are we talking about, Abraham?" but he presses on and he's able to persuade them because he now believes God's promise. The sign, of course, is not simply an assent to some propositional truth. Real faith is seen when you are willing to do what what the one you trust says you should do. Real faith, I always say this, uh, real faith comes out through your fingertips. It comes out in what you do. You can tell what somebody believes by what they do in how they live. You can see the problems of faith by how they live. Faith always leads to obedient action. Even though at times the promises that you're hoping for seem impossible. But here's the thing. And here's the hymn that we're going to sing in a minute. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your wonderful goodness. That you are glorious and majestic in your management of history. But also our personal histories. And so, Father, we entrust ourselves afresh to you. There are many things about our lives we do not understand. But we pray you give us a heart to pursue you. To have fellowship with you. To have a relationship with you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.